Good morning again, church. And you got your Bibles, don't you? And so let's, uh, that's what you're here for, right? And we don't actually just show them, we actually read them and stuff. So, amen. So, once you get your Bible, you go to Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 11 through 22. And um, I know some of you just said, wow, how long will this take? Well, it just depends on how fast you listen. Amen. The questions, a couple of questions I want you to think about. These, of course, are loaded questions. You know the answer to them. But, but not just knowing the answer, do you really believe it in your heart, the answer that you'll probably get? So the, the questions that I have are something like this. Is the local church, is it necessary and is it essential to your Christian life and your spiritual health? Is it necessary and essential, yes or no? And, and so you say yes, and so I'm watching you. Okay, second right? Everybody will say that, right? Every, everybody's a professing Christian, they say that, but really with our lives, does it, does it show it? Um, isn't it okay to just love Jesus, but reject the local church? Uh, again, I, I, I remember a, a group in Cincinnati, and they had a billboard out front of their church, and said, the church for people who don't like church. Isn't church just an event that we attend and the pastors are responsible for organizing great events that we can attend? And then we get to sneak out like a ninja as soon as the event is done. Or maybe before it's done. What does the Bible really teach about the church and why does it even matter? Okay, so now these are easy questions for people that have been around church, grown up church, and so on. But again, th- this, these are the things that people in our culture and even many professing Christians, they, they don't have the right answers to these, or at least they don't follow through with the answers that they give. And so they may give one answer because they know that's what they should say, but really in their heart of hearts, they don't believe the church is necessary. They do not believe that it's essential for their Christian life and their spiritual health. They really do believe that it's just them and Jesus. The local church is an add-on or uh, sometimes a nuisance. Um, they, have, they have the concept that church is really an event that they attend. It's a place they go and, and also an event that they attend. And so it's optional whether you want to go there and attend that event or not because it is marginally helpful in their view um, to the Christian life. Um, involvement in their church, since it's a, an event to them, uh, their involvement is little or none. And these are also the same people that would claim that nobody knows them and nobody cares about them. The same kind, same people. Um, so the question is, what does the Bible teach? And if the Bible is the final authority, then however we may feel about things is really irrelevant. What we may think or the opinion we may have is irrelevant. We come to the place where the Bible is the final authority in our life. It's God's Word. It's inspired and it's inerrant. So what does it teach about the local church? Now, remember, this book is the book to the Ephesians. It's not to the community of Ephesians or the community of Ephesus. It's to the local church at Ephesus. And the local church there has a pastor and has elders and has deacons. And it's, this letter is intended to travel to other local churches in the region and be read by them as well and then ultimately to get to every church that ever exists in Christian in Christian history 
and to be read and preached and believed and practiced. So we're not dealing with an ancient document that's dead and somebody wrote in time past. We're dealing with the Word of God that is living, sharp as a two-edged sword. And so we want to be sure that we submit ourselves to that today, no matter if you're the pastor or uh, a lowly deacon. It doesn't matter. We all want to submit ourselves to the Word of God every time. I'm not a person giving you opinions. We can talk about opinions somewhere else. I don't give you opinions. We talk about what does the Scripture say. It's called expository preaching. I don't come with a prepared speech and sprinkle it with some Bible verses. I come and give you the Bible and we explain the verses and then we let God speak. I wanted to say that to you over and over again because it's not that I'm saying that in an arrogant way. I'm saying it to you that it's rare. It's just rare. And, and so we as our church here, we're privileged to ha- have that as our foundation. We all believe in that. And so that's, that's a wonderful thing that God has done in our midst. And so we're so thankful. So uh, the title of the message is, We Are God's People. We are God's people. Not I am God's person, but we are God's people. We. And so this is a, a message from God's Word that's for us as a group. Now, it does have individual application, but it's to us as a group. Now, what we want to do is, uh, if you're looking at verses 11 through 22, you will notice that there are some markers. If you're interpreting the Scripture yourself and you're studying it yourself, there are some markers in this section of Scripture that would give you the divisions of it. Okay, so uh, verse 11 starts with the word, therefore. Okay, so that, that's that. Then verse 13 This is another section, another division in this section. But now, in Christ Jesus. So that alerts you to the fact that you're you're looking at an additional section of Scripture. Then verse 19, so then. So sometimes uh, people make fun of pastors. You know, you have three points in a poem, right? um, but, But in all honesty, the Scripture does have a structure and a unity about it. And if you're looking at this section of Scripture, it... Naturally, according to the wording of the Bible, it is, uh, we could use the word divided or organized into three sections. So the first section, if we're talking about us as God's people, is the past, our previous alienation. Now, verses 11 through 12, that's that first section. It talks about our previous alienation from God. Therefore, remember, it is so good for Christians to remember what you once were. It breeds humility in our lives. It causes us to have compassion for the lost. It keeps us from looking down our nose at other people or preaching down to them. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. That's all we're doing. Okay, so we we need to remember. And so therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called, quote, the uncircumcision. That's a derogatory term, by the way the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember so again remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world our previous alienation the condition that we were in now verse 11 it it gives us a little background before we jump into what alienation is about and, and what it feels like and, and what it looks like. Verse 11 tells us something that the alienation is by the flesh, according to the flesh. The, the Gentiles were excluded simply by ethnicity. Now, 
it wasn't just the Jews that practiced circumcision, guys. That, that's not the point here. But the, the point is that this was a mark of their ethnicity. This is their ethnic group. This is their nationality. The Gentiles were called the N-word. Let that sink in. They were considered garbage, trash, unclean. And so God had called this group of people, this, it, it made a nation for himself. And the point of that calling was for them to take the gospel of Jesus to the world. But instead, they sat on it and tried to hatch it like an egg for themselves. And so the fact that the Gentiles were considered unclean should have been a call to the Jews. We need to get the gospel to those people. But instead, the Jews didn't understand the gospel themselves. And so it created two groups of people, two, two ethnicities here. And so, and, and it's, all, it's important to remember that that's developed by the flesh, according to the flesh. And by the flesh there doesn't mean sinful man. It means physically, outwardly. These are outward things. These are just mere physical features that we're talking about here. But based on physical features, we have alienated people, two groups of people here. Are y'all with me? It's current, isn't it? Okay. So that's the background. Now because of that, because of the animosity between two groups here, the result of that is that, verse 12, the Gentiles are first of all Christless. Do you see? You were at that time separated from Christ. Christless. The word here is, of course, Messiah. And it's translated into Greek and Christos. And so we get Christ in the, in the English transliteration. And so they're talking about the Messiah. They were separated from Christ, the Gentiles were. And this, in, in particular, this is not necessarily directly talking about salvation here. It means that they did not have access to the Messiah. It doesn't imply that the Jews all trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's not implying that either. But by history, by information, by understanding, by schooling, by all of the elements of their culture, they had knowledge of the Messiah. The Gentiles did not. And so the Gentiles were cut off. They, they didn't have that. They were Christless. Christ was not part of their culture. The Messiah is a part of, of Jewish culture. They talked about the Messiah all the time. Too bad they missed Him, but they talked about Him. And so they, the Gentiles did not have that. Did you know there are people all over the world, groups of people, that they, they're, they're Christless. It's not just that they have not trusted in Jesus. I was talking to a friend of mine and he told me one time, he said, you know, uh, Tim, I, I don't understand why you have a concern for people in other parts of the world that are without Christ. There are lost people all around you. And my response is, absolutely, I care about those people as well. I'm trying my best to get the gospel to the people right around me. I, I don't ignore that. But they're not Christless. They, they have Christian friends. They can get a Bible from Walmart. They can tune in to good gospel preaching. They can listen to the radio. They can buy a book. They're not without access to Christ. But there are groups of people all over the world that have never yet been told at all, ever in their history, that there is a Savior and His name is Jesus. They've never heard it before. Christless. And it is by the grace of God that we are not Christless. 
Thank God for that. I, I praise God for the founding of America, that Christ was a major part of that. They wanted, people came in wanting others to know about Christ. Don't buy into the, all the 1619 project or whatever that junk is that they're going to try to teach kids in the school. That's a bunch of baloney. Are there bad actors in every situation? Of course there are. Of course there are. But you've answered me this. Why is it that we have built here the greatest nation in the history of the world? Why is it? It's because Christ was center. He's no longer that, but he was. Christ was center. Did you know in the state of Pennsylvania you used to have to sign a paper of Christian orthodoxy and belief before you could be elected to public office? Now, how would that go with the Philadelphia elections? I'm wondering. Yeah, I'll tell you. So they were Christless. We want to be aware of that. You know, there are people now in your family that they're Christless, though. They have very, very little knowledge of Christ. But the Gentiles in that day had almost zero access to Christ. None. Also, our alienation, we were homeless, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. I know those of you from Kentucky think the only commonwealth is Kentucky. But... This is the commonwealth of Israel. And as a result of that, they did not have access to this knowledge either. The, the knowledge of, of the covenants of the promise. And for some reason our translators do not put the definite article in there, but it is the covenant of the promise. And so there are all kinds of covenants that God makes with people in the Old Testament, and we see that, but we're talking in particular about that one made to Abraham that he would be a blessing God would bless him, and as a result of that, he would be a blessing to all nations. What is the blessing? The blessing is the Holy Spirit of God through the Messiah for those who come to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so the, the covenant and all the other covenants related to that. And the Gentiles had no knowledge of it. It wasn't part of their history. They didn't have that privilege. They didn't belong to that nation. So they didn't have access to this stuff. They didn't belong. They were homeless as far as spiritual things are concerned. And they were also godless, having no hope and without God in the world. They had no regard for God, the true God, the living God. Little knowledge for Him. And all of this was caused by this. Physical, genetic, and ethnic differences. It was never meant to be that way. But the sinfulness of man does it, doesn't it? But there's also an illusion here. There's a lesson here for us to learn. There's something that's being said to all of us while he's talking about physical things, Gentile nations and the Jewish nation, the, the physical differences and differences in the flesh and those created and the problems that has cut them off from knowledge of God and so on and so forth. But there's something that's being said here in addition to that. The Gentiles' ethnic exclusion is a type of exclusion of everyone, relationally speaking, as far as God is concerned. Every ethnic group is separated from Christ. No one, not even the Jews, are acceptable to Him based upon ethnicity or nationality. No one. There's nothing of the flesh. There's nothing physical that makes us acceptable to God. There's nothing national that makes us acceptable to God. There's nothing cultural that's going to make us acceptable to God. You say, well, that's not a problem in America, oh, really. Listen to these. These are from my own real life talking to people. Hey, are you a Christian? 
I'm not going to give you the expletives, but I'm an American, aren't I? Do you see what I'm saying? Hey, do you know Christ? I'm from a Christian family, is the response. Okay. But tell me about your relationship to Christ. I go to church. I'm not a bad person. I go to church. I'm a church member. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the same. It's the same that the Jews did. Thinking that somehow biologically you become a Christian. Because your mom and dad are Christians. Your grandparents are Christians. The one I get most often is, well, my, da- my granddad was a Baptist preacher. And I'm like, he must not have been a good one. You're lost as a goose, you know. But you, that's it. Uh, uh, my parents, so we, we're trying to go on, on, on some kind of biological connection. You know what the biological connection we have is Adam. We're all separated from God. But that, that's, uh, or I go to church. I, I, really, where do you go? Chillicothe Baptist Church. Who's the pastor there? I've done that one. I'm telling you more than once in this town. I was, I was at the little uh, fake Starbucks one day. Oh, dear God, they got to get a real one here. Can, can I get a witness? Hey, man, Brother Dan, you ain't kidding, my brother. Give me a real one. I, I, I did something just, it just is not right. It's just not right. But I just drove circle the other day just to get a real one. I just did it. I just, it was hot. It was like, tastes like real coffee. It was awesome. And it's, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to hate on our people, but doggone it. Some things in life are necessary. Um, but, but, you know, uh, you, you, you talk with people all the time, and you're like, hey, uh, you know, do, do, you, do you know Christ? And you get these same kind of answers. And the, and the reason is because we're doing what the Jews did. We think we're in because of biological reasons or some cultural reason, cultural reason. I'm from southern Ohio. Of course, we all believe in God and guns. Just like Leonard Skinner, same theology. I mean, you know, and so we think, we, we, I mean, thank God in our area of the world, there is a, some kind of fear of God kind of thing going on, which is nice. You know, it, it, it keeps people from just going completely crazy. Um, it is nice, but they count it as Christianity. I mean, with God, all things are possible. That's what we say in Ohio, you know, and so um, that makes us all Christians. And so it's this cultural thing, and then the ones that are not from this culture, obviously, like people from California, can't possibly be Christians, right? Well, th- there's some truth to that maybe, but I'm just saying, I'm, I'm kidding. So, some, now I know somebody's going to come to me in the Andrew room after this. I'm from California. You know, I know you're, please don't take it. You cannot take yourself seriously and be from there, okay? Please don't. It's the state of actors and everything, so please don't do that. So, yeah. I'm, I, I was witnessing a guy one time, and I was trying my heart to win him to Christ, and he said, Pastor, I promise you, I am born again, even though I am from California. I said, okay, I, I said, okay I'm going to go with that, man. I just never met one of those before. I just, I just yeah. yeah. So, but, but we do this by, by our culture. Okay, so, um, you know, the exclusion of people. And we think, well, they're, you know, they're not a Christian because they're not from my area of the world or whatever. We do this in the Bible Belt too, right? It's, it's really bad there in that way where everybody is raised with some you know, Christian values and, and uh, all of that. I mean, I, it, of course, it's dying. I mean, the, the Bible Belt's rusting. But, uh, it, you know, still, it's, it's a nice culture. And so because of that, um, people 
claim that they're Christians, but the fact of the matter is we're all alienated from God. Alienated is more than just I don't know Him. It's a state of hostility. It's, it's a condition of being pointed against God. It's a, a condition in which we don't see things the same way. We don't do things the same way. It's a different, it's a different country that God is in. And we're in a different, we're, we're totally different from that. And so it's our previous alienation. So we as Christians need to be reminded that just as much as the Gentiles were nationally and culturally and religiously separated from the Jews, as different as they could possibly be, we also, we need to remember, we also were alienated from the people of God. That we did not belong because we did not embrace the Messiah either. Okay, so that's, that's a good remembrance, okay? So our previous alienation. Okay, look, now look at this. He moves on a little bit further. He says, but now um, <clears throat> the, you, you have these words, but now, which are kind of arresting in verse 13. So, but now, and so he's going to speak of our purchase reconciliation. How did we get reconciled to God? And so verses 13 through 18 show us, but now in Christ Jesus, no other way, in union with Christ Jesus. There's nothing else. Don't add anything to that. In union with Christ Jesus. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man, one new humanity is the word in place of the two soul-making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And then verse 18 finishes this section, For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So, our purchased reconciliation. Notice what He, he shows us here, His peace brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. How did we gain peace with God? One way, through the bloody cross of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The blood of Christ is the atoning sacrifice. It is the propitiation. It is the only satisfaction the only satisfying element in all of the universe by which God would look on and put His judgment upon His own Son for our own sins and cause us to be reconciled to Him and forgiven and pardoned. The only element that would do it was the blood of Christ. There's nothing else. This is why I say not one drop of the blood of Christ has ever been shed for somebody who rejects Christ because none of it is wasted. It's too precious to be run on the ground. It's too precious for that. It's effective. It works. The blood of Christ. Now, every person is separated from God relationally. And if that condition is not changed, it will be eternally separated from God. And you think, that doesn't sound too horrible. Have you, have you, have you bothered to read about hell? I mean... Contrary to what one fake pastor says in our community that hell is not real, he's going to find out. 
You don't get to just reject the Bible on your own and do whatever you like. We don't talk about hell in order to scare people. We give them hell because it's reality. This is what it is. If we are separated from God for eternity, what kind of existence do you think that would be? Have you ever been to some of the awful places in the world that are devoid of God? In my first life, I've I've been to Mardi Gras, New Orleans. No human being ought to ever go there. I've been in Amsterdam after dark. No human being ought to ever go there. I've been to San Francisco. No human beings live there. It's it's awful. awful. And you just think to yourself, there's no... There's no God influence here. I mean, it's not that God is absent, but it's just that the things of God. And so that's what it feels like and looks like to be godless, that God is absent. So think of this. What is that like for eternity? What do you think it's going to be like? The only way for reconciliation to happen is Christ. He himself is our peace. You see that? He himself is. Not that he just gives us peace. But it's our attachment to Him that is peace. He is the one who is actually peace. He is the one standing in our stead before the throne of God, and He is our peace. Because of Him, we have peace with God. There is no other way. That's the only way the war is called off. It's Him. Now, how did He do it? By the blood of His cross. There's no other way. Many people think that some of us preach too much about the cross. Get this one. A guy wanted to lead music for my church one time. Not this church, thank God. And we were talking. And he said something like this to me. Pastor, I just don't think every song we sing needs to be splattered with the blood. Now, obviously, he was emitting a blasphemous exaggeration in order to reveal his theology. And what his theology is, is that the blood is not central in his thinking. Now, I'm not saying that every song that we sing has to mention the blood of Jesus. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that when you have some kind of aversion to that, as if it's not necessary to talk about the cross and to talk about the blood of Christ and to sing about it and to preach about it, Do you even know Christ? One quote Christian writer said, It's a mistake to make the atonement the central doctrine of the Bible. What? Brothers and sisters, the atonement is the doctrine of the Bible. It is what the Bible is about. This is not a self-help book in which we are cured of all of our fears and anxieties and problems and get financial peace somehow. It's not about that. It's about sinners at war with God and God making peace by the blood of the cross of His Son. That's what it's about. Who in the world? You start in Genesis 1. What do you think is going on here? I 
remember the old gospel song. I don't remember all of it now, but it used to say, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. It's just what it is. Yes, for some reason, uh, little sissy Bridges pastors just think that uh, if you talk about the cross and stuff, it's just not in vogue. I don't give a rip. I'm not campaigning to be on the cover of People magazine. What is wrong with these people? What is wrong with it? Think they're going to miss a Twitter follower if they don't say the right thing. I don't even care. Wow. Some of these guys need to grow up. His peace, he himself. Look at, notice the emphatic, don't, don't miss this. When you're reading your Bible and, and you notice like in verse 14, for he himself, you see that? that it, it, why didn't they just say, for he is our peace? The Bible could just say, for he is our peace. But does it, he himself is our peace. So there, he's wanting to, to make an, em, it, that's emphatic. That's an emphatic pronoun. He's wanting to say, there's an emphasis here. And th- there should be like an exclamation point after this. He himself is our peace. Christ is it. I don't have to make peace with God. Christ made peace for me. Just being himself, he made peace for me. Now, uh, his peace. Now look at his people. We've got to keep going. His people. Now, verses 14 through 16, second half 14, you, you'll notice the second half 14, he's made us both one. And he's talking about Gentiles and Jews here, one. And, and he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And you know this, those of you who studied this kind of stuff, that in the temple... There's a, there's a partition, and if you're a Gentile, you don't go past that. You're not allowed into the most holy part of the temple where worship actually takes place. As a matter of fact, they would post signs on there, uh, you know, under penalty of death. Gentile, if you go past this, you, you, you could be killed, so don't do it. And so Gentiles were kept in the outer courts and outside, and you, you just were not allowed to go. You would defile the temple, and only the, the Jews could go in there. And so that wall is a separator it's like we have God and you don't and you can't have him we've got God in a box and you don't get to look and so that that was it so there's that and so by ethnicity you're not allowed in this is a Jewish church you don't get to come in here you're not allowed you're not like us you can't come in but Christ this is a surprising thing the cross it, it not only has a reconciling effect that's vertical, but it also reconciles horizontally. Not just between me and God, but between me and other believers. There's a reconciliation that takes place. And whatever may have happened in the past that may have caused the hostility between us, in the cross the hostility is erased. Because now we come to the place where we both as sinners have come equally to Christ. And now we have been made into something different. Do you know what he says we are now? He has created one new man. Verse 15. That The word man there is the word for humanity. It's not talking about male, a male or female. It's talking about humanity there. He's created a new human race. And this new human race doesn't care about where you're from ethnically. This new human race doesn't care about the color of your skin. This new human race doesn't care about the wrongs that may have been done to your great-great-granddaddy. This new human race is not concerned with reckoning people according to the flesh and according to their culture. This new humanity is grounded solely and completely in the cross of Christ. And that's what makes us one people. 
This is why I am fundamentally against black churches and white churches. Because it defies the cross. And now I know that, especially like in Columbus, there are groups of people, they speak different language. Right? We have all kinds of ethnic folks in, in, in Columbus. They have different languages. They're, they're not going to be able to worship with us in English. They wouldn't get half of it. I tried worshiping with them, and I don't get any of it. Longest two hours of my life. I, I don't get it. I don't know what they're saying. I have no idea. So I, I recognize that. But you know what's going to happen to those folks? Their kids are going to school. And their kids are learning English. You know what their kids are going to want to worship in? English. So even that's a temporary measure. Even that's temporary. It doesn't last forever. But we're going to build congregations built upon the civil rights movement? That, that's, that's the gospel? Or we're going to take critical race theory and we're going to use that as a weapon against other Christians to try to hurl insults at them? And say to them, you are oppressive, I'm the oppressed, so now you've got to make up for it? Is that what the gospel does to people? According to the Bible, it's not. The problem is, when we keep on reckoning ourselves as Christians according to, I'm a member of the black community, I'm a member of the white community, I'm a member of this. When you keep doing that to ourselves, we divide ourselves and we continue to put up the, the dividing wall of partition between us. What is wrong with Christians right now? What is wrong with these people in the Southern Baptist Convention? They've lost their minds. I think I may charge the platform. I am so sick of it. It's the, it's the gospel. It, it's just the gospel. We, we don't have to have fake diversity quotas is your church really godly? We'll all have this many Chinese. Well, we don't have many in Chillicothe. Thank you. We're in the middle of a cornfield. And, and, and by culture, we, we just, we just what we are, man. We just Southern Ohio. We like pumpkin show and all. Just what we are. We're not doing that to keep anybody out. Just, it's just what we are. But, there's, there's, no, there's no ethnicity that's not welcome here. There's just not one. There's not one. I don't care if it, you know, it, it may be the toughest thing. Af- Afghani, or, you know, Iraqi. Or, it, sometimes, like, when we got ideas about people like that, we have to get over, don't we? We have to work through it. But, but they're going to be welcome here. Why? Because, because it's what the cross does. What the cross does is when we come to Christ, all that melts away. I don't... Who cares about Ancestry.com? I only need to know who my brother is and his name's Jesus. That's all I need to know. The rest of it is just hobby. It's not my identity. It's just a hobby. Intentionally doing that to people. And for us as Christians, we Christians to act that way. And to let the identity of the flesh swallow up your new identity as part of the new humanity is just sinful. Stop it. Well, you don't know how it feels to be, put, just fill in the blank, Pastor, you don't know how it feels. Well, look, man, you don't know what it feels like being poor white trash from Appalachia either. Yeah. 
Who cares? We're talking about eternal things. We're talking about things that last. We're not talking about that kind of Sure, would we want to change? Yes, yeah, sure. Would you? Sure. Would you wish do you, things in this world, do you wish they'd be better? Yes, of course we all do. But that's this world. What do you think they're going to do? We've got to quit acting like them. How do you think they're going to behave out there? Like Christians? We don't count people according to the flesh. They're counted as ours by the Spirit. And then also His presence here. He purchased our reconciliation by the blood of the cross. His peace, His people, His presence. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. We have access. The wall's gone. We have access to Him. Access to God through Him. He did it. The Spirit causes it in our hearts. And notice the Trinitarian language there as well. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now then, our present identification. Look what we get from all of this. Notice how far we've come. People have no right whatsoever to the things of God. Christless, homeless, godless people. No, no accident. This is everybody, Jew and Gentile, by the way. It's just in, in the world, these two ethnicities represented the way things are spiritually speaking, but they were not the reality. Do you understand what I'm saying? Those things are shadows, they're illustrations, but they're not reality. So don't be looking at Jewish culture as, oh, that's the godly culture. That's not what that means. But these illustrated something. They illustrated saved and lost people. But in reality, all of us were outside. All of us, each one of us, no matter your ethnicity, all of us alienated from God, every single person, born into this world that way. And so then reconciled through the cross. You come to the cross, you get reconciled. Reconciled with God and with each other. Then what happens? Our present identification. Then who are we? What, you, you're not left just with a neutral identification now. Now, now look what you are. Verse 19. So then. So there, here's the conclusion. So then. You are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In these verses, you, you, you need to realize this. Uh, so, so then you, okay, you is plural. Notice strangers, plural, aliens, plural, fellow citizens, plural, saints, plural, members of the household of God, plural, and so, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple. In whom you, plural, also being built together. There's another word. So, th- this is talking about who we are together. Not just gathered together, but who we are, essentially. When, on, when Monday rolls around tomorrow, and your family members, some go to school, to go to work, you kind of divide up for the day, but you're still one family. Same thing with church. We scatter, we gather, but then we scatter, but we're still one family. And so here's what he says. Our present identification. We're citizens. You are fellow citizens. The Gentiles are just as much a citizen of the kingdom of heaven as the Jews if they have come by way of the cross and the Jews are just as much a citizen of the kingdom if they also come by the way of the cross. It's the same for both groups. So citizens, your fellow citizens, isn't it nice to be a citizen? I think sometimes that's why we get so worked up about things that go on, like at the border, for example, because we prize and value our citizenship here. 
It's a gift. It's a great gift. It's a privilege. It's a blessing. And we don't want it trampled on. We don't want it treated as if it doesn't matter. It didn't cost anything to anybody. We don't want it to be treated that way. That's the, that's the fundamental. It's not about somebody's a, you know, darker skin. It's not about that. It's not about not wanting anybody else to have opportunity. It's just we don't like it to be run over and treated like garbage. Citizenship matters. Citizenship in the kingdom matters even more. Because it's eternal. Listen, they don't check passports at heaven. That's, that's, that's the thing in the past. So it's citizenship through Christ. And so that we're fellow citizens. You're just as much a, a citizen of the kingdom of God as I am. Also look at this. Our present identification. Not only are we citizens, we're also siblings. Members of the household of God. I'm no longer a white man. You're no longer a black man. That's not our identity. We're siblings. We're brothers. Because of Christ. We're family members. You know, too many of us are so enamored with our earthly family ties that we can't imagine anything higher. We think it's all there is. But did you know this? All earthly family relationships are temporary. Did you know that? The family structure that we enjoy here is dissolved in heaven. Now, sometimes we have trouble thinking that way. Like, wow, that's, that's tough to think about. But, but let, me, let me just put it to you this way. My, both of my parents are, are, are Christians, dedicated followers of Jesus, both, both my parents, which is, which is a blessing. Um, but when I get to heaven, I'll have just as much passion to find my brother Barry Bankston as I do my own dad. Because our tie is by the cross, not by biology. The things of the flesh are the things of the past. The things of the Spirit are eternal. Do you see? This is why, again, I say this again, this is why church hurt is the worst kind. It's like divorce. It's, it's, on that, it's almost that level of hurt. Why? Because there is a spiritual connection that you can't explain and a lot of times you're not even aware of until something goes wrong and it is so troubling and so hurtful and, and just so painful. Why? Because we're siblings. We're family. And when families go wrong, it's just painful. It's just painful. And so that, that's the issue. We're, we're, by the Spirit of God, we're in a relationship together in the Spirit through Christ, and that's what counts, not the flesh. And then also we're stones. In Him you also being built together. Look at that, together. We're being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, in those sections of Scripture, it talks about you being indwelled by the Spirit of God. That's true. Personally, when we trust Christ as Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God makes His home in our hearts. And so that's true. But this is saying something further. This is saying that all of those people then are being put together to build a habitation for God. Where does God dwell? Where does He live? Among His people. That's where He lives. Also, the Bible here tells us that um, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay, 
that's not saying that you have to name your church St. Paul Baptist Church for it to be legit. It's talking about their teaching. Okay, these people are those chosen by God to reveal the, what God has said. It's the revelation of God came through them. So this is the teaching. It's built upon, just like the book of Acts, built upon the teaching, the foundational teaching of the apostles and prophets. Okay, so that's our source of authority is the Bible. But notice the interpretation of it. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The interpretation of Scripture, it must be Christ-centered, not self-centered, but Christ-centered. Why? Because Christ is the cornerstone. He is the keystone of the whole thing. And so when we're looking at the writings of the apostles and prophets, the way that we understand them correctly by the help of the Spirit of God is that when they're Christ-centered, and so it's about Him. And that's what makes a church a true church, is that. And so here we have the explanation. And then the structure can grow. Then it can be joined together. If you don't do that part as a local church, if you're not going to do verse 20, verse 21 is a farce. When we try to build ourselves together, let, let's say the personality of the pastor. See, that's why I don't have one, because that way you can't do that to me. But we, oh, we're going to take the personality of the pastor and do that. That's wrong. That, that's going to be fun. We're going to take our great programming to do that. No, that's wrong. We're going to take, you know, our, our groovy music and do it. No, that's wrong. It's not, it won't stick together. It's not joined together and it will not grow to a holy temple of the Lord. You say, our church is growing. You're gathering people. But they do that at a bullfight too. Okay, that, that kind of, be, being inundated with that kind of thinking that all that matters is more hindians in the seat and that success is just crazy. It's not it. Here's, here's what it is. The teaching of the apostles and prophets interpreted as Jesus as the central theme. You build upon that. That grows the structure. The structure's joined together on that basis. And the end result is a holy temple to the Lord. That's what you're trying to do. Does that make sense? Is that clear? It's hard to do. It's extremely hard to do. It's sometimes hard to measure. It's not always immediately rewarding. But it is the reality. Well, we need to do something with this. So, um, what, what do we do with all this stuff? So we, you know, give you all this information, which is great, great to know, and uh, all of that. But, but we need to do something with it. Okay, so let's, let's shine the light on ourselves for a moment. Let's, let's do that part. Um, the great thing about evangelistic preaching is we can always shine the light on those awful lost people and we stay clean. But uh, it doesn't work that way. Uh, one of the challenges that we have as Christians in this area of the world is Western civilization and its addiction to individualism. You know, I live my life my own way, you live life your way. I, I've got my own opinion, you've got your opinion. You know, uh, I get to self-determine what I want to do, you determine what you want to do. And so just that, the, the extreme individualism, I don't need anybody and I don't want to be, you know, and I'll, I'll do things the way I want to do. I'll do it the way I see best. I'm not going to be told anything. You know, that kind of mentality is, is deeply ingrained in us. And the result of that in our spirituality is that we come to this place of thinking, me and my personal Jesus, that's all that matters. I've got a personal concept of Jesus and what I think and how I see Jesus and how I feel about Jesus. That's my Jesus. And then you got your Jesus and you have no right to tell me that my Jesus is not the right Jesus. And so that leads us to that kind of thinking. 
the end result of that then is that too many people think the local church is optional and unnecessary. So they think they can do the Lord's Supper at home and actually God would bless that. He doesn't. They think they can just do their own personal Bible study and never gather with other believers to study the Bible and God's okay with that. That's not true. Does He want you to do personal Bible study? Of course. Is that sufficient? No. It's not enough. Well, I'll just stay home and watch my favorite preacher on TV. You know, the thing about that is that if you stay home and watch your favorite preacher on TV, you're not even going to be listening to your pastor. Just saying. And so your pastor is the one that God places in your midst, in your life, in order to help you. Not to sell books, not to sound good to the general public, not to create an image that's going to prop up a multi-million dollar ministry, not any of that stuff. Kenneth Copeland's home is nice. But I'll give the brother that, or not the brother, but the charlatan that. But nonetheless, yeah, I said that. So, you know, so that's where, where that goes. And it's all rooted in this individualistic type thinking. I don't need anybody, and it's too hard to work with people. And it is hard. It's exhausting to work with people. You think it's not exhausting to work with people? You know what I do on Sunday nights? I come in the door. My wife has a glass of milk. Ritz crackers and peanut butter in a bowl, a lot of them. I look at her, she looks at me, she looks at the bowl and the milk, I grab it, I go downstairs and turn on sports. They know better. There's nothing left, people are exhausting. So it is hard, it's not easy. I want to be a hermit. Some people, in turn, since the church is, in their view, a hassle, they turn to non-church Christian organizations instead. Um, in that situation, you go to those other organizations, let's call them parachurch ministries, <clears throat> they're disconnected from the local church. Your individualism is never challenged. You do what you want to do. You give what you want to give, you leave what you want to give, you leave, you Nobody's going to hold you accountable for anything. Nobody asks about anything, your lifestyle, anything else. They're not worried about it. It's one of the fundamental problems I have with some organizations on college campuses. They rob the church of young talent and young minds and young Christians and group them up into a little conclave like the, the whole goal of being at a state university is protect yourself. It's not protect yourself. You're supposed to be evangelizing the thing. So those organizations, your individualism is not challenged. You can choose from whatever menu you want. And you never have to deal with the messy stuff of local church. Isn't that just good? It's like Christian Disney World. And I'm sorry, that is not Christianity. Without the local church, how does a Christian experience church discipline? Matthew 18. How does a Christian submit to pastoral leadership, one that qualifies according to what the Bible says in Hebrews 13, tells us what to do with Christian leaders? How do you take a majority vote of the church, 2 Corinthians 2.6, in those kinds of places? How do you apply the standard for pastoral leadership in those situations? You don't. So here's the issue. You need to make your local church the greatest group of people in your life. Talk well of your church. You, you can make up good things about me too, it's fine, but talk well about your church. Talk about what Jesus is doing. Talk about lives changing. Talk about your own spiritual growth and what God is doing through your local church. Tell people about that. Tell them the story about it. 
Make your connections with people here just the, the strongest connections that you have anywhere in the world. Do that. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, what do you do with this mess that I've just presented? What do you do with all this? It's a lot. Well, let, let me boil it down for you. you. You'll probably say to yourself, why didn't you say that to begin with? <clears throat> but here's what I'm saying to you. You can't have this except through Christ. The, 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 the mistake that people make is this. They try to get Christ by getting the church. They think, I'm going to join the church. I'm going to join myself to the church. I'm going to attend. I'm going to be there. And then I'll get Christ that way. He doesn't come as a package deal that way. You've got it reversed. You get Christ, then you get the church. See, don't mix that up because that's eternally damning to do that. There's a group that teaches that. If you get the church, then that's how you get Christ. If you don't get our church, you don't get Christ. Well, that's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that we come to the cross, that reconciles us to God, and then through that reconciliation, we get reconciled to the people of God. Christ first, His church secondly. Don't mix that up. So maybe you're here and you've mixed that up. You're like, well, I, I, I joined the church, but I'm not really sure that I have Christ. Well, you know what? That's a simple fix. Repent and believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's a simple fix. You say, Pastor, you, you, you teach that Reformed theology about election, predestination, and so on and so forth. Listen, you probably can't even spell those words. Don't worry about that. Repent and believe on Jesus. That's what you must do. If you won't do that, that's on you. Repent of your sinfulness, believe upon Jesus, and you will be saved. You'll be rescued from the wrath of God. I promise you that based upon the authority of God's Word. Will you do that today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us a clear view of what we were, what Christ has done for us in the cross, and now what we are. God, I pray that you would help us as Christians to shun being put into boxes and categories based upon the flesh and instead embrace as our total identity what we have become through the cross of Christ. Help us, Father, also to be reconcilers with people who also are followers of Jesus, no matter where they're from, no matter what language they speak, no matter the, their, their historical, biological background that our commonality in the cross of Christ would come to the forefront and be so monumental to us that we're reconciled to them completely in our hearts. Father, I pray for those here today that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. They know about Him. They've talked about Him. They've read about Him. But they haven't started the personal relationship by repenting of sinfulness, leaving that behind, turning to Christ, trusting His cross what he did on the cross for them, died in the place, in their place for their sinfulness, rose from the dead to be the victorious Lord over their life. Lord God, give them faith that they may turn their life over to that Jesus. Trust him, put their confidence in him. Lean on him completely. I ask you, Father, you'd do that in hearts and lives that do not know him today. In Jesus' name, amen.